Chapter Fifty Two of Mary Marston. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amanda Friday. Mary Marston by George MacDonald. Chapter Fifty Two A Summons. One hot Saturday afternoon, in the sleepiest time of the day, when nothing was doing, and nobody in the shop, except a poor boy who had come begging for some string to help him fly his kite, though for the last month wind had been more scarce than string. Jemima came in from Durnmelling, and greeting Mary with the warmth of the friendship that had always been true between them, gave her a letter. "'Whom is this from?' asked Mary, with the usual human waste of inquiry, seeing she held the surest answer in her hand. "'Mr. Mewkes gave it to me,' said Jemima. "'He didn't say whom it was from.' Mary made haste to open it, she had an instinctive distrust of everything that passed through Mewkes's hands, and greatly feared that much as his master trusted him, he was not true to him. She found the following note from Mr. Redmain. Dear Miss Marston, come and see me as soon as you can. I have something to talk to you about. Send word by the bearer when I may look for you. I am not well. Yours truly, F. G. Redmain. Mary went to her desk and wrote a reply, saying she would be with him the next morning about eleven o'clock. She would have gone that same night, she said but as it was Saturday, she could not, because of country customers, close in time to go so far. "'Give it to Mr. Redmain's own hand, if you can, Jemima,' she said. "'I will try, but I doubt if I can, miss,' answered the girl. "'Between ourselves, Jemima,' said Mary, "'I do not trust that man, Mewkes.' "'Nobody does, miss, except the master and Miss Yolland.' "'Then,' thought Mary, "'the thing is worse than I had supposed. "'I'll do what I can, miss,' Jemima went on. "'But he's so sharp!' "'Mr. Mewkes, I mean.' After she was gone, Mary wished she had given her a verbal message, that she might have insisted on delivering in person. Jemima, with circumspection, managed to reach Mr. Redmain's room unencountered, but just as she knocked at the door, Mewkes came behind her from somewhere, and snatching the letter out of her hand, for she carried it ready to justify her entrance to the first glance of her irritable master, pushed her rudely away, and immediately went in. But as he did so, he put the letter in his pocket. "'Who took the note?' asked his master. "'The girl at the lodge, sir. "'Is she not come back yet?' "'No, sir, not yet. "'She'll be in a minute, though. "'I saw her coming up the avenue. "'Go and bring her here.' "'Yes, sir.' Mewkes went, and in two minutes returned with the letter, and the message that Miss Marston hadn't time to direct it. "'You damned rascal! "'I told you to bring the messenger here.' "'She ran the whole way, sir, "'and not being very strong was that tired "'that the moment she got in, "'the poor thing dropped in a dead faint. "'They ain't got to her yet.' His master gave him one look straight in the eyes, then opened the letter and read it. "'Miss Marston will call here to-morrow morning,' he said. "'See that she is shown up at once, here to my sitting-room. I hope I am explicit.' When the man was gone, Mr. Redmay nodded his head three times, and grinned the skin tight as a drumhead over his cheekbones. "'There isn't a damned soul of them to be trusted,' he said to himself, and sat silently thoughtful. Perhaps he was thinking how often he had come short of the hope placed in him. Times of reflection arrived to most men, and a threatened attack of the illness he believed must one day carry him off, might well have disposed him to think. In the evening he was worse. By midnight he was in agony, and Lady Margaret was up with him all night. In the morning came a lull, and Lady Margaret went to bed. His wife had not come near him, but Sepia might have been seen, more than once or twice, hovering about his door. Both she and Mewkes thought, after such a night, he must have forgotten his appointment with Mary. When he had had some chocolate, he fell into a doze but his sleep was far from profound. Often he woke and again dozed off. The clock in the dressing-room struck eleven. 
"'Show Miss Marston up the moment she arrives,' he said, and his voice was almost like that of a man in health. "'Yes, sir,' replied the startled Mewks, and felt he must obey. So Mary was at once shown to the chamber of the sick man. To her surprise, for Mewks had given her no warning, he was in bed, and looking as ill as ever she had seen him. His small head was like a skull covered with parchment. He made the slightest of signs to her to come nearer, and again. She went close to the bed. Mewks sat down at the foot of it, out of sight. It was a great four-post bed with curtains. "'I'm glad you're come,' he said, with a feeble grin, all he had for a smile. "'I want to have a little talk with you. But I can't while that brute is sitting there. I've been suffering horribly. Look at me and tell me if you think I'm going to die. Not that I take your opinion for worth anything. That's not what I wanted you for, though. I wasn't so ill then. But I want you the more to talk to now. You have a bit of a heart, even for people that don't deserve it. At least I'm going to believe you have.' "'And if I am wrong, I almost think I would rather not know it till I'm dead and gone. "'Good God, where shall I be then?' "'I have already said that whether in consequence of remnants of mother-teaching, "'or from the movements of the conscience that had more vitality "'than any of his so-called friends would have credited it with, "'Mr. Redmain, as often as his sufferings reached a certain point, "'was subject to fits of terror, horrible anguish it sometimes amounted to, "'at the thought of hell. "'This, of course, was silly, seeing hell is out of fashion "'in far wider circles than that of Mayfair.' but denial does not alter fact, and not always fear. Mr. Redmain laughed when he was well, and shook when he was suffering. In vain he argued with himself that what he held by when in health was much more likely to be true than a dread which might be but the suggestion of the disease that was slowly gnawing him to death. As often as the sickness returned, he received the suggestion afresh, whatever might be its source, and trembled as before. In vain he accused himself of cowardice. The thing was there, in him. Nothing could drive it out. And verily, even a madman may be wiser than the prudent of this world, and the courage of not a few would forsake them, if they dared but look the danger in the face. I pity the poor ostrich, and must I admire the man of whose kind he is the type, or take him in any sense for a man of courage? Wait till the thing stares you in the face, and then, whether you be a brave man, or coward, you will at all events care little about courage or cowardice. The nearer a man is to being a true man, the sooner will conscience of wrong make a coward of him and here in Redmain had a far-off kindred with the just. After the night he had passed, he was now in one of his terror fits, and this much may be said for his good sense, that if there was anywhere a hell for the use of anybody, he was justified in anticipating a free entrance. "'Mewks!' he called suddenly, and his tone was loud and angry. Mewks was by his bedside instantly. "'Get out with you! If I find you in this room again without having been called, I will kill you. I am strong enough for that, even without this pain.' They won't hang a dying man, and where I'm going they will rather like it. Mewks vanished. You need not mind, my girl, he went on to Mary. Everybody knows I'm ill, very ill. Sit down there, on the foot of the bed, only take care you don't shake it, and let me talk to you. People, you know, say nowadays there ain't any hell, or perhaps none to speak of. I should think the former more likely than the latter, said Mary. You don't believe there is any? I am glad of that, for you are a good girl and ought to know. "'You mistake me, sir. How can I imagine there is no hell when he said there was?' "'Who's he?' "'The man who knows all about it, and means to put a stop to it some day.' "'Oh, yes, I see. Hm. But I don't for the life of me see what a fellow is to make of it all. Don't you know? Those parsons, they will have it there's no way out of it but theirs, and I never could see a handle anywhere to that door.' "'I don't see what the parsons have got to do with it, or at least what you have got to do with the parsons.' If a thing is true, you have as much to do with it as any parson in England. 
If it is not true, neither you nor they have anything to do with it. But I tell you, if it be all as true as, as, that we are all sinners, I don't know what to do with it. It seems to me a simple thing. That man as much as said he knew all about it, and came to find men that were lost and take them home. He can't well find one more lost than I am. But how am I to believe it? How can it be true? It's ages since he was here, if ever he was here at all. And there hasn't been a sign of him ever since, all the time. There you may be quite wrong. I think I could find you some who believe him just as near them now as ever he was to his own brothers, believe that he hears them when they speak to him, and heeds what they say. That's bosh! You would have me believe against the evidence of my senses. You must have strange senses, Mr. Redmain, that give you evidence where they can't possibly know anything. If that man spoke the truth when he was in the world, he is near us now. If he is not near us, there is an end of it all. The nearer he is, the worse for me, sighed Mr. Redmain. The nearer he is, the better for the worst man that ever breathed. That's queer doctrine. Mind you, I don't say it mayn't be all right. But it does seem a cowardly thing to go asking him to save you, after you've been all your life doing what ought to damn you. If there be a hell, mind you, that is. But think, said Mary, if that should be your only chance of being able to make up for the mischief you've done, no punishment you can have will do anything for that. No suffering of yours will do anything for those you have made suffer. But it is so much harder to leave the old way than to go on and let things take their chance. There may be something in what you say, but still I can't see it anything better than sneaking to do a world of mischief and then slink away into heaven, leaving all the poor wretches to look after themselves. I don't think Jesus Christ is worse pleased with you for feeling like that, said Mary. Eh? What? What's that you say? Jesus Christ worse pleased with me. That's a good one, as if he ever thought about a fellow like me. If he did not, you would not be thinking about him just this minute, I suspect. There's no sense in it, if he does not think about you. He said himself he didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I wish I could repent. You can, if you will. I can't make myself sorry for what's gone and done with. No, it wants him to do that. But you can turn from your old ways and ask him to take you for a pupil. Aren't you willing to learn, if he be willing to teach you? I don't know. It's all so dull and stupid. I never could bear going to church. It's not one bit like that. It's like going to your mother and saying you're going to try to be a good boy and not vex her any more. I see. It's all right, I dare say. But I've had as much of it as I can stand. You see, I'm not used to such things. You go away and send mukes. Don't be far off, though, and mind you, don't go home without letting me know. There, go along. She had just reached the door when he called her again. I say, mind whom you trust in this house. There's no harm in Mrs. Redmain. She only grows stupid directly she don't like a thing. But that Miss Yolland, that woman's the devil. I know more about her than you or anyone else. I can't bear her to be about Hesper. But if I told her the half I know, she would not believe the half of that. I shall find a way, though. But I am forgetting. You know her as well as I do. That is, you would, if you were wicked enough to understand. I will tell you one of these days what I am going to do. There, don't say a word. I want no advice on such things. Go along and send Mukes. With all his suspicion of the man, Mr. Redmain did not suspect how false Mukes was. He did not know that Miss Yelland had bewitched him, for the sake of having an ally in the enemy's camp. All he could hear, and the dressing-room door was handy, the fellow duly reported to her. Already, instructed by her fears, she had almost divined what Mr. Redmain meant to do. Mary went and sat on the lowest step of the stair just outside the room. "'What are you doing there?' said Lady Margaret, coming from the corridor. 
"'Mr. Redmain will not have me go yet, my lady,' answered Mary, rising. "'I must wait first till he sends for me.' Lady Margaret swept past her, murmuring, "'Most peculiar.' Mary sat down again. In about an hour Mewkes came and said his master wanted her. He was very ill and could not talk, but he would not let her go. He made her sit where he could see her, and now and then stretched out his hand to her. Even in his pain he showed a quieter spirit. "'Something may be working. Who can tell?' thought Mary. It was late in the afternoon, when at length he sought further conversation. "'I have been thinking, Mary,' he said, "'that if I do wake up in hell when I die, no matter how much I deserve it, nobody will be the better for it, and I shall be all the worse.' He spoke with coolness, but it was by a powerful effort. He had waked from a frightful dream, drenched from head to foot. Coward? No, he had reason to fear. "'Whereas,' rejoined Mary, taking up his clue, "'everybody will be the better if you keep out of it.' "'Everybody,' she repeated. "'God and Jesus Christ and all their people.' "'How do you make that out?' he asked. "'God has more to do than look after such as me.' "'You think he has so many worlds to look to, thousands of them only making. "'But why does he care about his worlds? "'Is it not because they are the schools of his souls? "'And why should he care for the souls? "'Is it not because he is making them children, "'his own children, to understand him and be happy with his happiness?' "'I can't say I care for his happiness.' I want my own. Yet I don't know any that's worth the worry of it. No, I would rather be put out like a candle. That's because you've been a disobedient child, taking your own way, and turning God's good things to evil. You don't know what a splendid thing life is. You actually and truly don't know, never experienced in your being the very thing you were made for. My father had no business to leave me so much money. You had no business to misuse it. I didn't quite know what I was doing. "'You do now.' Then came a pause. "'You think God hears prayer, do you?' "'I do.' "'Then I wish you would ask him to let me off. I mean, to let me die right out when I do die. What's the good of making a body miserable?' "'That, I am sure, would be of no use to pray for. He certainly would not throw away a thing he has made, because that thing may be foolish enough to prefer the dust-hole to a cabinet.' "'Wouldn't you do it now, if I asked you?' "'I would not. I would leave you in God's hands rather than inside the gate of heaven.' I don't understand you, and you wouldn't say so if you cared for me. Only, why should you care for me? I would give my life for you. Come, now, I don't believe that. Why, I couldn't be a Christian if I wouldn't. You are getting absurd, he cried, but he did not look exactly as if he thought it. Absurd? repeated Mary. Isn't that what makes him our saviour? How could I be his disciple if I wouldn't do as he did? You are saying a good deal. "'Can't you see that I have no choice?' "'I wouldn't do that for anybody under the sun.' "'You are not his disciple. You have not been going about with him.' "'And you have?' "'Yes, for many years. Besides, I cannot help thinking there is one for whom you would do it.' "'If you mean my wife, you never were more mistaken. I would do nothing of the sort.' "'I did not mean your wife. I meant Jesus Christ.' "'Oh, I dare say. Well, perhaps.' If I knew him as you do, and if I were quite sure he wanted it done for him. He does want it done for him, always and every day, not for his own sake, though it does make him very glad. To give up your way for his is to die for him, and when any one will do that, then he's able to do everything for him. For then, and not till then, he gets such a hold of him that he can lift him up and set him down beside himself. That's how my father used to teach me, and now I see it for myself to be true. That's how my father used to teach me. "'and now I see it for myself to be true.' "'It's all very grand, no doubt, 
"'But it ain't nowhere, you know. "'It's all in your own head, and nowhere else. "'You don't, you can't, positively believe all that.' "'So much, at least, that I live in the strength and hope it gives me, "'and order my ways according to it.' "'Why didn't you teach my wife so?' "'I tried, but she didn't care to think. "'I could not get any further with her. "'She has had no trouble yet to make her listen.' "'By Jove! "'I should have thought marrying a fellow like me "'might have been trouble enough to make a saint of her.' It was impossible to fix him to any line of thought, and Mary did not attempt it. To move the child in him was more than all argument. A pause followed. "'I don't love God,' he said. "'I dare say not,' replied Mary. "'How should you, when you don't know him?' "'Then what's to be done? I can't very well show myself where I hate the master of the house.' "'If you knew him, you would love him.' "'You are judging by yourself. But there is as much difference between you and me as between light and darkness.' "'Not quite that,' replied Mary, with one of those smiles that used to make her father feel as if she were that moment come fresh from God to him. "'If you knew Jesus Christ, you could not help loving him, and to love him is to love God.' "'You wear me out! Will you never come to the point? Know Jesus Christ! How am I to go back two thousand years?' "'What he was then he is now,' answered Mary. "'And you may even know him better then than they did at the time who saw him.' for it was not until they understood him better, by his being taken from them, that they wrote down his life. "'I suppose you mean I must read the New Testament,' said Mr. Redmain pettishly. "'Of course,' answered Mary, a little surprised, for she was unaware how few have a notion what the New Testament is, or is meant for. "'Then why didn't you say so at first? There I have you! That's just where I learn that I must be damned forever!' "'I don't mean the epistles, those you can't understand, yet.' "'I'm glad you don't mean them. I hate them.' "'I don't wonder. You've never seen a single shine of what they are, and what most people think them is hardly the least like them. What I want you to read is the life and death of the Son of Man, the Master of Men.' "'I can't read. I should only make myself twice as ill. I won't try.' "'But I will read it to you, if you will let me.' "'How comes it you are such a theologian? A woman is not expected to know about that sort of thing.' I am no theologian. There just comes one of the cases in which those who call themselves his followers do not believe what the master said. He said God hid these things from the wise and prudent, and revealed them to babes. I had a father who was child enough to know them, and I was child enough to believe him, and so grew able to understand them for myself. The whole secret is to do the thing the master tells you. Then you will understand what he tells you. The opinion of the wisest man, if he does not do the things he reads, is not worth a rush. He may be partly right, but you have no reason to trust him. Well, you shall be my chaplain. Tomorrow, if I am able to listen, you shall see what you can make of the old sinner. Mary did not waste words. Where would have been the use of pulling up the poor spiritual clodpole at every lumbering step, at any word inconsistent with the holy manners of the high countries? Once get him to court, and the power of the presence would subdue him, and make him over again from the beginning, without which absolute renewal the best observance of religious etiquette is worse than worthless. Many good people are such sticklers for the proprieties. For myself, I take joyous refuge with the grand, simple, everyday humanity of the man I find in the story, the man with the heart like that of my father, and my mother, and my brothers and sisters. If I may but see and help to show him a little as he lived to show himself, and not as church talk, and church ways, and church ceremonies, and church theories, and church plans of salvation— and church worldliness generally have obscured him for hundreds of years, and will yet obscure him for hundreds more. Toward evening, when she had just rendered him one of the many attentions he required, 
and which there was no one that day but herself to render, for he would scarcely allow Mewks to enter the room, he said to her, "'Thank you. You are very good to me. I shall remember you. Not that I think I'm going to die just yet. I've often been as bad as this, and got quite well again. Besides, I want to show that I have turned over a new leaf. Don't you think God will give me one more chance, now that I really mean it? I never did before.' "'God can tell whether you mean it without that,' she answered, not daring to encourage him where she knew nothing. "'But you said you would remember me, Mr. Redmain. I hope you didn't mean in your will.' "'I did mean in my will,' he answered, but in a tone of displeasure. "'I must say, however, I should have preferred you had not shown quite such an anxiety about it. I shan't be in my coffin to-morrow, and I'm not in the way of forgetting things.' "'I beg you,' returned Mary, flushing, "'to do nothing of the sort. I have plenty of money.' and don't care about more. I would much rather not have any from you. But think how much good you might do with it, said Mr. Redmain satirically. It was come by honestly, so far as I know. Money can't do half the good people think. It is stubborn stuff to turn to any good, and in this case it would be directly against good. Nobody has a right to refuse what comes honestly in his way. There's no end to the good that may be done with money, to judge at least by the harm I've done with mine, said Mr. Redmain, this time with seriousness. "'It is not in it,' persisted Mary. "'If it had been, our Lord would have used it, and he never did.' "'Oh, but he was all an exception.' "'On the contrary, he is the only man who is no exception. "'We are the exceptions. "'Every one but him is more or less out of the straight. "'Do you not see? "'He is the very one we must all come to be the same as, or perish. "'No, Mr. Redmain, don't leave me any money, "'or I shall be altogether bewildered what to do with it.' Mrs. Redmain would not take it from me. Miss Yelland might, but I dare not give it to her, and for societies I have small faith in them. "'Well, well, I'll think about it,' said Mr. Redmain, who had now got so far on the way of life as to be capable of believing that when Mary said a thing she meant it, though he was quite incapable of understanding the true relations of money. Few indeed are the Christians capable of that. The most of them are just where Peter was, when the moment after the Lord had honoured him as the first to recognise him as the Messiah— he took upon him to object altogether to his master's way of working salvation in the earth. The Roman emperors took up Peter's plan, and the devil has been in the church ever since. Peter Satan, whom the master told to get behind him. They are poor prophets, and no martyrs, who honor money as an element of any importance in the salvation of the world. Hunger itself does incomparably more to make Christ's kingdom come than ever money did, or ever will do while time lasts. Of course money has its part, for everything has, and whoever has money is bound to use it as best he knows but his best is generally an attempt to do saint work by devil proxy. "'I can't think where on earth you got such a sack full of extravagant notions,' Mr. Redmain added. "'I told you before, sir, I had a father who set me thinking,' answered Mary. "'I wish I had had a father like yours,' he rejoined. "'There are not many such to be had.' "'I fear mine wasn't just what he ought to be, though he can't have been such a rascal as his son. He hadn't time. He had his money to make.' "'He had the temptation to make it.' and you have the temptation to spend it. Which is the more dangerous, I don't know. Each has led to many crimes. Oh, as to crimes, I don't know about that. It depends on what you call crimes. It doesn't matter whether men call a deed a crime or a fault. The thing is how God regards it, for that is the only truth about it. What the world thinks goes for nothing, because it is never right. It would be worse than me to do some things the world counts perfectly honourable, than it would be for this man to commit a burglary, or that a murder. I mean, my guilt might be greater in committing a respectable sin than theirs in committing a disreputable one. 
Had Mary known anything of science, she might have said that in morals as in chemistry, the qualitative analysis is easy, but the quantitative another affair. The latter part of this conversation Sepia listening heard, and misunderstood utterly. All the rest of the day Mary was with Mr. Redmain, mostly by his bedside, sitting in silent watchfulness when he was unable to talk with her. Nobody entered the room except Mewkes, who, when he did, seemed to watch everything, and try to hear everything, and once Lady Margaret. When she saw Mary seated by the bed, though she must have known well enough she was there, she drew herself up with grand English repellence, and looked scandalized. Mary rose, and was about to retire, but Mr. Redmain motioned her to sit still. "'This is my spiritual adviser, Lady Margaret,' he said. Her ladyship cast a second look on Mary, such as few but her could cast, and left the room. On into the gloom of the evening Mary sat. No one brought her anything to eat or drink, and Mr. Redmain was too much taken up with himself, soul and body, to think of her. She was now past hunger, and growing faint, when through the settled darkness the words came to her from the bed. "'I should like to have you near me when I'm dying, Mary.' The voice was a softer than she had yet heard from Mr. Redmain, and its tone went to her heart. "'I will certainly be with you, if God please,' she answered. "'There is no fear of God.' returned Mr. Redmain. It's the devil will try to keep you away. But never you heed what any one may do or say to prevent you. Do your very best to be with me. By that time I may not be having my own way any more. Be sure, the first moment they can get the better of me, they will. And you mustn't place confidence in a single soul in this house. I don't say my wife would play me false so long as I was able to swear at her, but I wouldn't trust her one moment longer. You come and be with me in spite of the whole posse of them. I will try, Mr. Redmain she answered faintly. But indeed you must let me go now, else I may be unable to come to-morrow. "'What's the matter?' he asked hurriedly, half lifting his head with a look of alarm. "'There's no knowing,' he went on, muttering to himself, "'what may happen in this cursed house.' "'Nothing,' replied Mary, "'but that I have not had anything to eat since I left home. I feel rather faint.' "'They've given you nothing to eat,' cried Mr. Redmain, but in a tone that seemed rather of satisfaction than displeasure." "'Ring. No, don't.' "'Indeed, I would rather not have anything now till I get home,' said Mary. "'I don't feel inclined to eat where I'm not welcome.' "'Right, right, right,' said Mr. Redmain. "'Stick to that. Never eat where you are not welcome. Go home directly. Only say when you will come to-morrow.' "'I can't very well during the day,' answered Mary. "'There is so much to be done, and I have so little help. But if you should want me, I would rather shut up the shop than not come.' "'There's no need for that.' "'Indeed, I would much rather have you in the evening. "'The first of the night is worst of all. "'It's then the devils are out. "'Look here,' he added, after a short pause, "'during which Mary, for as unfit as she felt, "'hesitated to leave him. "'Being in business, you've got a lawyer, I suppose?' "'Yes,' she answered. "'Then you go to him to-night the first thing, "'and tell him to come to me to-morrow, about noon. "'Tell him I am ill and in bed, "'and particularly want to see him.' and he mustn't let anything they say keep him from me, not even if they tell him I am dead. "'I will,' said Mary, and stroking the thin hand that lay outside the counterpane, turned and left him. "'Don't tell anyone you're gone,' he called after her, with a voice far from feeble. "'I don't want any of their damned company.'" End of chapter 52 Recording by Amanda Friday